I'm Anna Barnard. And I'm Maria Ramsey, and you're listening to Never Wear Boring Socks. Welcome to the podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Before we get started, we wanted to remind you all that for every review we get this month in October, we will donate a dollar to the Hispanic Federation's Hurricane Relief Fund. So just keep that in in mind when you're listening um, and make sure to leave a, a review when you're done. And today is a very special episode because we're welcoming our second guest onto the podcast. And this week we have Rebecca Cooper with us. So welcome, Rebecca. Thanks. I'm so excited. I am too. I've known Rebecca since middle school, and we've been in several music ensembles together, band and orchestra and choir, and and she's a fabulous person. So I'm very (laughs) excited to have her here today with us. Thank you. And we're today we're going to talk a little bit about some tools that Becca has used to get to know herself better and ones that Anna and I have used as well. Um and which we think is really valuable because self-knowledge can help you make decisions and take actions that work well for you, which enhances your quality of life. So we think it's an a useful thing to talk about. So, before we get started, Anna, what socks are you wearing today? I am wearing a pair of knee-high socks that I believe my our family friend gave to me for Christmas one year or something, and they are kind of a mixture of designs, but the predominant color scheme is kind of like blue and brown and like more neutral tones. And it kind of reminds me of like uh, a sky or like reflections on water. And I thought they were really cool and they reminded me of nice things in nature. So that's why I picked them. Nice. And what socks are you wearing, Maria? I, so I have a sock confession to make. I um, am wearing a pair of socks that I've already worn for the podcast. This is only our 10th episode, and I'm already repeating socks. However, I, it's not, I'm not wearing the same pair of socks because I ran out of socks, because I have a lot more socks, but I'm wearing these socks again. They're pink and red and purple and striped and polka dotted. They have a lot going on. I'm wearing them again because now that it's fall and it's actually sock season, it's not sandal season anymore. I was just wearing socks anyway, and I thought, that's silly to put on a new pair of socks just for the podcast. And the funny thing about these socks is that I had an orchestra concert last night, so I had to wear black for the orchestra concert, as you usually do for an orchestra concert. But I do not have any plain black socks, so I wore these funky, colorful ones, and I just wore long pants that covered them up. Maria, as a musician, I feel like you have to have a pair of plain black socks. I did, but I lost one sock. 
Oh. So they're not very useful anymore. I had a very <laughs> similar problem recently. We were, uh, when it, I'm in an orchestra at college and we were taking um, pictures for the ensembles and we had to be wearing black socks, but I like didn't have any black socks with me because I forgot to bring black socks. And so I wore like these wool striped socks, but they like weren't striped <laughs> on the part that you could like see where my feet were so that I just wore them <laughs> and pass them over to black socks. Nice. But I, I, I understand your, your dilemma. These ones are not black at all. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just wore pants that covered them. <laughs> yeah. I should probably get some black socks though. Becca's right. <laughs> yeah. As a musician. <laughs> so what socks are you wearing today, Becca? Well, I pulled out all the stops for you guys because Ooh. normally I'm a very boring sock kind of person. I love like my white ankle socks, but I just wear all the time. <laughs> but today I'm wearing gray socks. They're cozy and they're gray. <laughs> I, I really I went into all of my winter clothes and was like, now is the time to pull out the cozy socks. And so I got my favorite gray socks. <laughs> Nice. Cozy socks are the best socks. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm all like wrapped up in a blanket with my cozy socks on. I have a apple cider donut candle burning. Mm. Quintessential fall nice. day. That sounds very autumnal. <laughs> yes. Wow. That sounds nice. All right, so, Becca, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, like, who, who you are? How would you introduce yourself to somebody who doesn't know you? Well, um, I feel a little awkward about this now after your identity episode where you talked about <laughs> how to introduce yourself It's to a people. hard question. <laughs> but I would start off by saying that... I'm currently working um, in healthcare software on the development side, doing a lot of software testing and design review. So I work at a computer all day, <laughs> very like not obviously creative, but there are certainly a lot of creative aspects to it that you wouldn't think of. Um, but I recently switched from doing cooking full time. So that's like a huge a huge step. <laughs> so I've done like two totally different things in my like two and a half years out of college. Um, and I do music. I play the trumpet. I'm in a community band here in Wisconsin. Um, I love to cook. I cook all the time, <laughs> even though it's just for myself. <laughs> and um, yeah, I like to read. I like to go outside. I like to garden. Although it's a little cold now. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. I don't think that was such a hard question for you. That was a good description. <laughs> so for today, we were going to talk, like I said earlier, about kind of some, some questions or tools that we use to get to know ourselves better that sort of help enhance our quality of 
life by knowing these things. So I know one of the things that we were going to talk about was being an introvert versus an extrovert, which is something we've touched on on the podcast a little bit before. Are, what are your thoughts on this, Becca? Are you an introvert, extrovert? I would definitely consider myself an introvert. Um, I think it's become more apparent to me in the recent years. Um, but I, but I feel like I've probably always been more of an introvert. I really just love my alone time (laughs) and I'm really content just being by myself. Um, I do love being with other people, but I find that I prefer being in smaller groups. Um, or if I'm in larger groups, I like to just observe. (laughs) Mm Hmm. Yeah, I feel similarly in both of those ways. Yeah, I've like, I was talking about this last week, but I've been kind of having like a mini identity crisis on along these lines with introversion and extroversion. Um, And I like identify pretty similarly to what you were saying, Becca, about how like I really enjoy being alone by myself. I can totally be fine by that sometimes I really need to be alone by myself but I also like enjoy spending time with people but more so with people that I know really well um I took uh a Myers-Briggs test this past week to see what I got I had taken it uh in past years but I like wanted to see if it had changed at all and one of the elements of a Myers-Briggs test is like introversion or extroversion but I got the exact same personality that I had gotten before, which is ENFP, and the E stands for extroversion. So that still put me as an extrovert. So I'm still, I still don't know. <laughs> hmm. Well, if I wonder if, like, we touched on this a little bit before, but I wonder if it sort of depends on the situation you're in, what parts of your personality are brought yeah. out. That could definitely be true. Because, yeah, we mm-hmm. were saying that college has brought out the introvert in me, but at other times I'm much more extroverted. So, could be, could be situational. Yeah. I also think there are ways to like, kind of do both. Like, especially as more of an introvert, maybe putting yourself in situations where you can be around people but not be overwhelmed, so you don't feel like you're closing yourself off from the outside world by being in your room all the time, especially at the beginning of college when you want to make friends, but maybe are overwhelmed by it. Like for me in the beginning of college, it was really helpful to just like sit in like the common area of my dorm. So I could do my own thing, but people were around and like, I could chat with people occasionally, but I didn't have to like be full on like chatty. (laughs) Yeah. That's Mm, a really good point. Yeah, I'm trying to do that a little bit more. Definitely. Mm hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you if you're trying to meet people and you like don't make yourself available uh, available to people, it's not gonna happen. Also, I've just yeah, Yeah, I've just been trying to also just like leave my door open or something when I'm in my room, so then if people walk by, they're more inclined to stop and talk. But yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's a good tip. I think for me, like making those sort of casual, less planned interactions easier really helps because I wrote a blog post about this but like making plans to hang out with people takes up like so much energy 
I think we talked about this on the yeah, podcast, I too. It just takes so much energy and brain space to, like, actually make the plans with people and get in touch and go back and forth that that's like kind of exhausting for me as an introvert who's also happy to just sit at home by myself and be like pretty content doing that but doing things like keeping your door open hanging out in a common space or kind of making a standing engagement with somebody i find helpful as a an introvert who also really enjoys socializing sure yeah i i totally agree with you on the like making plans thing like when you mentioned that in a previous episode i was like that's me that's <laughs> it like i've never totally gotten it before um but i'm totally the same way and like i hate when people you finally make plans with someone and then they flake out on you or mm-hmm. like half the people don't show up or you have to change the time like four thousand times it's so frustrating to me because I feel like I've put in so much effort and I feel like, but I want to be there and I want to hang out with you, but clearly you don't value that in the same way. And I'm like, well, whatever, I guess I'll just hang out at home by myself all the time because that's fine with me. Yeah. Well, I think like that's why sort of built in communities are so important for so many people. I think, you know, like, a religious community can be that for people somewhere that you go every weekend or uh, or an orchestra rehearsal or a band rehearsal or like these places where people are going to show up and you know that you're going to see the same people every time. Right. Yeah. I, I feel that way about my community band. It's like it's once a week for two hours, but I know that like I can just go there and I'll be surrounded by these people that I mostly no but I've never hung out with outside of band but we can like chat and catch up and have a good time for those two hours and then I know that they're going to be there next week yeah yeah I think that can be really valuable Mm -hmm. definitely yeah the whole logistics of like getting in contact with people to make like a one-time plan you almost like have to wonder if it's worth it because the planning aspect can just get so tedious for like one time thing. Yeah. So if you're doing something like not only is the built-in community nice because you just have something to go to, but also you spend less time planning and you get to see them on a more regular basis. So it's just a win-win. Right. Yeah. Less planning and more socializing at the same time. Yeah. The other thing that I think has to do with being an introvert is like where you get energy from and what feels like it's depleting your energy like whether you feel like you're energized by being alone or energized by being with people or like whether crowds kind of make you tired or energized yeah have you guys experienced that I, I definitely have, and I've experienced it where it's like, I feel like I have to match what I want from a situation to what other people want from a situation. So like, if I'm hanging out with people that are more extroverted, it's hard for me to like know when, when to say like, okay, I'm overstimulated. Like you might still be having fun, but like, I'm done. <laughs> I need to mm-hmm. like cut myself off. So like going out with people, it's like, I'm good for the first hour or two. And then I just like can feel myself like shriveling up and I'm like 
I need to get out of here. Like I'm done. (laughs) I get really cranky, really tired. And I'm just like, you might still be having fun, but like, I need to go. (laughs) Yeah. That that can be really hard because it's like, I, I want to be the kind of person and sometimes that can just like stay out and keep having fun. Like, I don't want to be like the cranky person, (laughs) but like that just happens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a really interesting point because I think, I think, I don't know, I think that helps me a little bit because I, if I'm, if I end up in a social situation and it's generally with people who I know and enjoy spending time with, like, I can spend a lot of time with them. Like, I don't really get burnout by that, I would say. And I don't really mind being in, like, crowds. I really like, like, large family gatherings and stuff like that. So in that regard... I would maybe be considered an extrovert because I do find a lot of joy in spending time with a lot of people who I love. But I think the distinction comes when it's like, I'm not the kind of extrovert who loves like any social situation and just like, like seeks those out all the time. Like it needs to be a situation Mm -hmm. where I really enjoy the people who I'm spending time with. Um, Because otherwise it's not. Do you think it has to do with like comfort level and like if you there are people you're more familiar with then you feel more comfortable just like being yourself and like yeah definitely interacting with them so maybe it takes a little bit less energy to just interact with people that you're more familiar with whereas if they're new people or like a large variety of different people that you're less familiar with then maybe you just you get overwhelmed yeah. by having to deal with all of that yeah I think that definitely is true especially because in college like everyone's new and so I haven't really been wanting to socialize as much because again like it's out of my comfort zone so like yeah that's a good point um if I was at college and I had all my friends there and there was some kind of thing going on and all my friends were going like I'd, I'd want to go but since I don't have like a ton of new relationships that I uh, can like invest in yet in the same way that I do my other friendships from high school and stuff it's not quite the same deal so yeah I think it might just be comfort zone and how much you want to get out of it which I don't know how much like that plays into introversion and extroversion if that can be like kind of synonymous with it or if it's just like a different element but I think that also like affects the introversion and extroversion debate yeah I think it could just be like a different element that yeah impacts like your level of introversion or extroversion because there are like ambiverts right that are like sort of in the middle um i think that's like a legitimate psychological categorization right okay <laughs> so, and becca's a psych major so yes i am qualified we can yes. on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, that's really interesting i also think it's it's interesting to think about how your relationship with like introversion or extroversion relates to like your job um or just things that you do in general like maybe clubs or activities um like for me it's been really important to find a job that caters to my need to have a little bit more alone time um like I recently made a transition from being a cook in a busy kitchen surrounded by people constantly like on my feet for eight hours a day to an office job where I have my own office and I'm the majority of the time working by myself with occasional meetings. 
And that's been really helpful for me because I would find myself getting so like overwhelmed and just kind of shutting down when I was in the kitchen and like constantly surrounded by loud people who always wanted to talk to me. And now I just like have my time to sit by myself, do my own thing, collect my thoughts. Um, And that's been really helpful for just how I feel on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that's a really important factor to consider when you're thinking about jobs. And I've noticed that too, in my job teaching, like I, I really love my students and I love spending time with them. But the thing that I find is like, if I've been interacting with people all day, I can still, like, I feel good at the end of the day. It feels like it was a good day, but then I don't want to socialize at night. That's the issue that I run into. It's not so much that I start shutting down or something at work it's just like then i'm done and it impacts my social life outside of work because i don't have any social energy left for that yeah i think that totally makes sense yeah i feel kind of a similar way i mean i obviously am not teaching like you are like i'm a student in this part of my life but like i'm around (laughs) people all the time during the day because i'm going to classes with individuals and i'm living in a place where there's a bunch of adolescents in one area and so like by the time it gets to be the weekend after i've spent a lot of time all week spending other time with people doing a lot of work on my own like by the time it's the weekend i just like don't want to do anything social i just want to like watch a movie in my dorm or something so i kind of get that yeah well and like i think it's it is really helpful for me to have that alone time because I do find it very restorative and I need it after spending time with people. But then I also like social interactions are so rewarding. So I, I feel the need to make sure that I do get out and hang out with people. Yeah. Because I like I need that time, like I said, to kind of restore, refresh my energy. But then like the social occasions spending time with people is like the memories that i look back on more fondly usually yeah and i think sometimes um introverts or people with like introverted tendencies or whatever like they often need restorative time but sometimes if there like is a social event coming up or something that um they like know would be rewarding in the end but like the execution of going is kind of like intimidating or whatever i feel like sometimes we use like our need to be alone almost like as an excuse to not do social things like Mm -hmm. i need this time for myself i can't do that like i need to take this time to recuperate or whatever but sometimes like you do just need to force yourself out of your comfort zone and go do social things because ultimately those usually are rewarding even if they are uncomfortable like initiating or putting yourself into that situation. Yeah, it's kind of like short-term discomfort versus long-term satisfaction, yeah, I think. Yeah, you can always say to yourself, like, I'll go for, you know, half an hour and then I'll leave if I feel uncomfortable or I'll leave as soon as I start feeling, like, overstimulated. I think that could work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like when I do that, I just never leave. <laughs> it is so hard like, to my leave. Intention? <laughs> yeah. But that can be good, though, because then, like, that probably means that you're having 
an enjoyable experience that you didn't expect to have or you're yeah, interacting or you're just like such an awkward person that you can't figure out how to like get out yeah <laughs> or that. that's true that's true <laughs> the graceful exit yeah yeah that's yeah <laughs> yeah but also this reminded me of your becca you were talking before you mentioned the idea of quitting before you burn out before yeah. we recorded this and i think that applies in social situations because it's like it's more satisfying to maybe have left a social occasion before it starts winding down and getting more boring but then it's hard to make yourself leave before that because it's like what if it stays exciting for longer right if you're like having a yeah if you're having a good time like why would you want to stop but then it like I think after you've been in that situation a few times where you've like gotten way too overstimulated and gotten like cranky and tired like it (laughs) happens to me then it might become easier to do that to say like okay I can feel myself sort of starting to wind down and like this is good and I want my memories of this to be 100% positive so I'm gonna leave now we can always hang out another time I don't know that's not something that I've been able to implement in my like social life a lot um but I definitely try to do it in other aspects of my life like working or reading like sometimes at work I'll be really into a project and I'll have so many ideas flowing but then I'll be working on it for like four hours straight and then I get to the end and I'm just like still not finished but I don't have any energy left to do more and so then I I sort of dread going back to it whereas if I had stopped a little bit sooner where I still had more ideas, then I could have had those ideas ready to go the next time I was going to start on it. And I'd have an easy place to start, you know, it'd be like, I think often with reading too, it's sort of weird, but like if you stopped reading like in the middle of a chapter, then maybe it would be easier to pick it back up because you're sort of like in the middle of a moment. And then instead of being like at the end of a chapter where it's, you know, closed off a little bit and then you kind of start a new chapter, it can be hard to get back into it. But sometimes I try to get myself to stop in the middle so it's easier to pick back up. I don't know. Hmm. It's sort of weird. That's interesting, though. I've never tried that really on purpose. That makes a lot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm the kind of person who. I don't know. I think I would have like a very hard time doing that because I'm the kind of person who when I start something, like, I I get a lot of sense of, like, satisfaction with finishing it, or Mm. I, like, I think a lot of times I'll get anxious if I feel like there's something weighing down on me that, like, I have to do or I haven't finished yet, or that is kind of in, like, a pseudo-finished state. Like, I, I feel like whenever I read books, I'm always trying to, like, get to the end of the chapter, so I'm like, okay, I'm at a good resting point, now I can stop or whatever. But I think, Mm-hmm. It's definitely true that if you were to stop in the middle of it, then you'd be so much more inclined to start it later. Because I feel like when you leave off at some kind of resting point, then it's like the time when you need to go back to it can be indefinitely put off or delayed. 
like you were talking right. about. Yeah. So I don't know. That's really interesting. I like the book analogy. That's, that's why TV shows use cliffhangers, right? Like to keep you coming yeah. back next week. Oh. And I think sometimes that happens in books, like at the end of the chapter, it'll be sort of a cliffhanger and you want to keep going. But I think it's interesting to notice that, like to notice when maybe it would be good for you to stop sooner than you might want to, you know, give, make yourself have a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. Well, or I've noticed that sometimes uh, I'll finish a book. And then I'll have really enjoyed that book. And then I'm kind of at a loss for what to read next. So then I don't read for like months or something because mm -hmm. I just want to enjoy the feeling that that other book gave me. And I'm like at a resting point. <laughs> oh. so I'm like, well, I don't need to start anything new or whatever. But it'd probably yeah. be more rewarding if I was reading a different book or something. Always have like something ready to go. Like maybe yeah. you always have two books at once. So then once you finish the first one you have a new one to start right away and then like you can get another one to have as your backup yeah <laughs> yeah i get what you're saying though anna because i get really attached to like the world of the yeah, book that i'm reading about yeah. i get so involved in the characters and the atmosphere and i'm just like not ready to let it go well, also, at the end if it was a good book yeah i feel like if you are so invested in this like one world for a long time and then you like finish it and then you just like pick up another one you feel like you're like not doing enough justice to like just letting you ruminate on the other one. It's like I just need to give that one its own space because it was so interesting or whatever. Right. Well, one place that I have applied the quit before you burn out thing is in creative work, because I find the hardest part of that is always starting something. And I do a lot of creative work that's kind of little small things like I write little short poems and I do kind of small standalone illustrations so if I just like tell myself I'm gonna draw this evening it's really hard sometimes for me to think of what to draw but if I stop halfway through a drawing like maybe before I really want to then I'm like wanting to go back to it the whole day. And then I think like that creative energy kind of carries over and sometimes helps me. It like gets me in the flow and I think of new ideas more easily that way. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that instead of just does that help you like stay in the creative mindset throughout the day more because you're still sort of like in the middle of a project. You haven't like finished one and are waiting to start another one you're sort of like still ruminating on something that you've that you're still in the middle of yeah I think that probably has something to do with it I think it's like I'm thinking about what I could do with that existing project instead of just trying to think of new ideas for a new thing mm -hmm. which is hard and not as fun but like when you're trying to think of creative solutions to sort of resolve the project that you already started, there are so many options. So I think it is kind of staying in a creative mindset, like you said. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I really like that, actually, because I feel like when I am working on something creative and then I finish it or I feel like I need to kind of like wrap it up or whatever, 
then I'm like, okay, that's done. Now I'm moving on to like this separate part of my life. So like, I'm not focusing on creative things. I'm focusing on like academic things or whatever. But I think if you are like in the middle of a creative project while you're also working on other stuff, then you can like kind of keep creativity or that sense of, uh, or that mindset like kind of permeating throughout your life instead of just like separate, like separated into chunks which, like, I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. So I, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think that would be really helpful for me, personally. In order to, like, just put that more at the forefront of my life instead of kind of, like, sectioning it off as, like, this leisure thing. Trying to make it more of, like, a lifestyle thing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So it can be applied in many different yeah. areas. So I know one of the other things that we were going to talk about, another tool that we have used to get to know ourselves better is Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies. We mentioned this on another episode. Do you want to explain a little bit again what they kind of are, Becca? Sure. So um, Gretchen Rubin does a lot of work on like personality and habits and happiness. Um, She has her own podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, um, where she and her sister talk about a bunch of these things. But the four tendencies are categories of people based on how you respond to expectations. So internal versus external expectations. So there are four, obviously. Um, they're upholder, questioner, obliger, and rebel. And so upholders respond to inner and outer expectations equally. So if someone tells them to do something, they're just as likely to do it than if they want to do it themselves. Um, questioners question all expectations. So they basically turn everything into an inner expectation. So if if they think that's something that someone else wants them to do makes sense, then they'll do it. And if they want to do it and they think it makes sense, then they'll do it. Um, but if they don't make, think it makes sense, then they won't do it. Um, obligers meet outer expectations, but struggle with inner expectations. So if someone is counting on them to do something like a work deadline or like an accountability partner, someone who like, needs them to go to the gym with them (laughs) then they'll do it but they can't just say like i want to do this and make that happen it's really hard for them to meet those inner expectations and then rebels don't like inner or outer expectations they kind of want to do what they want to do when they want to do it so they deal a lot with like identity like i am the type of person who does this or doesn't do this and that can help them but if you tell them to do something, they definitely won't do it. <laughs> so, um, so it's a good way to like know yourself better for like how you can get yourself to accomplish things. Like checking things off your to-do list might be really easy for like an upholder, but for an obliger, it might be really hard to just write out the things you want to do and then get them done right away. You might need someone there to like say, I want you to have this done by five o'clock or I need this by next week. Um, so, yeah. So which one are you? (laughs) Okay, I'm, I'm a questioner. Um, 
I love information. I, to make any decision, I try to gather as much information as I can. And that often means that I can't make decisions. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the basics of how that applies to my life. <laughs> Just like an information <laughs> gatherer. Uh, what are you guys? Did you take the quiz? Yeah. Yes, I took it before I... we started recording. What's yours, Maria? I am also a questioner. Okay. I'm sort of on the upholder side of questioner, though, I think. Okay, cool. I'm an obliger, which, like, makes a lot of sense. Like, I, looking at the tendencies before I took the quiz, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's not so much, like, I'm a people pleaser. Like, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I don't know. I kind of am. Like, I feel like it's it's not so much like I want to do this for this person and I'm going to do this, like, in order to please them, but it's more like this person expects this of me and, like, I'm going to uphold this commitment. But for myself, a lot of it, is, we talked about this, but a lot of it is, like, time-sensitive stuff. So, like, my, my inner commitments that I hold for myself are not usually time-sensitive. So I usually just, like, put them off because they're not, like, I don't make them, like, mm -hmm. priorities in my life. But outer expectations, I'm like, I need to get this done because there's a deadline or whatever. Or if I don't get this done, then, like, this is going to happen. Yeah, someone's counting on yeah. you. So there's, like, external consequences. It's not just, like, you feel a little bad because you didn't get this creative project done exactly when you wanted yeah. to. Yeah. I think she says that obligers are by far the largest group of people. Okay. Um, so I think it often makes sense. Um, I think a lot of people are obligers. I sort of feel like there's a little bit of like a obliger in me in the sense that like I'm pretty good with external expectations when they come from like trusted authority figures. So like I've never had any trouble in school doing my schoolwork because I always trust that the teacher knows more than I do and knows why it's important for me to do what they're asking me to do. So I sort of always felt like an obliger in that as aspect of my life. Um, but if there are people telling me to do things and I really don't trust their judgment, then I generally won't do it. Although I am sort of a people pleaser. So <laughs> I do like that aspect of it like if I feel like someone's counting on me and I feel like yeah it generally makes sense to do that then I'll do it yeah but well yeah I kind of have a similar experience to that I mean if someone like is holding an expectation of me and like I don't respect necessarily like the consequences of what's going to happen if I don't do that like if I don't really have a huge relationship with them and I don't think like the expectations they have of me are like reasonable or like have any sort of like backing to them then I don't think I'll usually do that either. But it's it's more like when, when people who... I, I definitely tend to gravitate towards fulfilling expectations that other people set for me just because mm -hmm. there's like a sense of commitment or duty or whatever. Do you feel like there are any habits that you've had trouble changing that you think might be helpful if someone else were holding you accountable? Oh, yeah. Or anything in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm terrible at changing habits for myself. 
And what's also interesting in my life is that, like, generally, I can uphold expectations that other people have of me, but sometimes I don't uphold expectations that other people have of me if they're people that I'm really, really comfortable with. So, like, I, for the past few years, have always had trouble with being, like, five or ten minutes late to something. And it's usually, like, only impacts my family because I, like, make them wait for me if we're leaving for something. And they always get really mad at me mm-hmm. about it. But I'm like, well, it's my family, so, like, it's fine. Which is, like, not <laughs> really a good outlook to have. But, like, that's a habit that has been really difficult for me to change or whatever. Um, or the habit of, um, like, procrastinating my work or whatever. Like, I get the work done, but the way I do it is only held accountable by myself. And if other people aren't, like, managing that for me, I have a hard time not procrastinating. Right. Like, if you had a big paper that was due at the end of Mm -hmm. the semester and you were supposed to hypothetically be working on it little by little, like, throughout the whole semester, you would probably have an easier time, I imagine, if you had specific deadlines where you had to, like, turn in your first draft or turn in your second draft or, like... Yes, definitely. That kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. No, if someone is like, this is when this is due, I'm like, okay, I'll get it done by then. But, yeah, if it's this just, like, wishy-washy time period, I have a hard time with that. Yeah. Yeah, I also feel like I have some obliger in me. Um, It's interesting that you brought up the school thing, Becca, because I, like, I was all, I did well in school also, and I always, like, I did feel a lot of pressure to get stuff done for my teachers and for my professors, but I don't... For me, I don't think it was so much like I trusted them as an authority figure. It was like kind of more of the obliger thing of like, I, well, I guess a lot of what it was is that I wanted to show them respect Mm -hmm. by following through on things that they asked me to do. But I also feel like I, Like, I have a lot of resentment kind of towards authority figures that tell me (laughs) to do things. That may sound weird coming from someone who's, like, done really well in school and always is on top of deadlines and everything. But I, like, I hate it when people tell me what to do. (laughs) So much. But I do it. Which sounds, I feel like that sounds like an obliger thing to say. There is a thing called obliger rebellion. Which is, like, an obliger, like, says yes, 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 and does everything that someone else wants them to do. And then at one point, they just, like, explode and, like, rebel Mm -hmm. against all outer expectations. Um, Apparently, it's really common. Um, So, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe you need to retake the quiz, Maria. (laughs) (laughs) See, I haven't really had any major rebellions. It's like an inner rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> like even, okay, so when we were in marching band, Becca no. and I were in band together in high school. When the drum major would give you, they like yell out orders for what you're supposed to do or blow the whistle, which is supposed to tell you what to do. I like had such a strong urge every time that happened to just be like, no, 
and not do it. Oh, my God. Even I never though, did. Wait, was, oh, because marching band so for you guys funny. was mandatory, wasn't it? If you were in band. <laughs> Didn't, like, you have Pretty to well, do it? Or did, you, or did you, like, sign up for it? Because... <laughs> Pretty- I mean, there were only, like, 20 people, so they really tried to hold on to whoever right, they could. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do it one semester just because my schedule. Right. I was pressured into yeah, it. Yeah, because it's one of those yeah. things where it's, like, you were made to do it. Because, I'm like, at my school, I, have, I had, like, a lot of friends from high school who were in marching band. And marching band was, like, a very voluntary thing. Like, you chose to do that. And, like, everyone loved marching band who was in marching So I think that, like, anecdote is so funny <laughs> coming from you because... <laughs> I've, like, never heard of anyone say that. <laughs> marching well, I actually sort of feel like I agree with you, Maria, about that example. Like, from my own perspective, I've definitely, now that you mentioned that, I've definitely had moments where I'm just like, why should I do that? Like, and I think that actually makes a lot of sense with the questioner tendency. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. It's like, who is this, like, 17-year-old kid telling me to, like, <laughs> take four steps to the left while my hips are in a certain position and my shoulders are back you know like why does it matter it's like who we're like a 20 person marching band with like one person on each instrument like no one comes to the football games no one's gonna see us and like why does it matter (laughs) like yeah who cares if my hips are back or whatever (laughs) so i feel like i i totally agree with you I get like really stubborn in certain situations. And I think maybe that is actually more of the questioner um, tendency coming through. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why, that's why I say I trusted authority figures. (laughs) Yeah. Like if it, if it were someone that was like super, super high trained marching band and I like cared about marching band, then I would probably do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you guys, like, ever actually, like, follow through on that as questioners? Because I feel like sometimes that's going on in the back of my head once in a while. Like, even, like, in an academic sense, we'll be doing something that's, like, a piece of homework, and it'll seem like busy work to me. And so it'll be like, why do I have to do this? This seems so dumb or whatever. But, like, I'll follow through and do it anyway. Like, as, so I think that's, like, the obliger in me is, like, okay, I'll question it, but, like, I'll still do it. Like, for you guys who identify more as questioners, do you question it, but then like also refuse to do it? Or is it kind of like half and half for you guys? Like what has been your experience with that? I think about the consequences. Yeah, right, right. That's like, that's what drives <laughs> yeah. me a lot. Yeah. Because, because I'm still like, I would, I think it's separate, but I would identify as like a people pleaser in general. So. If it's like if it's in class and it's busy work, if I see that it has like some merit or if I think like, well, it's not that hard for me to do it and it's going to look good to the teacher, then I'd probably do it. But if I was like, okay, they're not going to check this. I don't want to do it. And it has like no value to me, then I probably wouldn't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but. But generally, I feel like I would in a classroom situation just because I feel like, well, they're going to check it and I want them to think highly of me. Yeah. Um, but like, they're exi- like in the marching band example, I could imagine a scenario where they're like, hold your trumpet up higher. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, and like, I just don't <laughs> like because what are the consequences? Like, <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. What about you, Maria? 
I see, I almost always will follow through anyway. This is the like kind of interesting thing that I come across in this framework is I have like a lot of internal conflict in situations where people tell me to do things. I think this is why I didn't really like school very much and like why I have a lot of uh, why I could rant a lot about school if I, <laughs> if I uh, was uh, prompted. I won't right now, but <clears throat> I like I have a lot, like I said, of internal conflict when a professor, a teacher tells me to do something and I don't want to do it for myself. I feel very strong urge to kind of rebel against it and not do it. But then I do, like Becca was saying, I have that people pleasing aspect too, that I, I want other people to think highly of me. And I, like I said before, I really want the other person to feel like I'm respecting them. So it's not so much that I like want to do what they said as an authority figure. It's more like I respect you as a person and I'm taking your class, so I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Wow, you Does sound like a much sense? better person than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just something different that motivates me. Yeah. But then at the same time, like I said, I kind of resent the fact that I am supposed to do it and that I feel pressured to do it. I think that's kind of the upholder right. slash questioner part of me. Because I do kind of fall into both categories. Yeah. Um, when you guys, like, make decisions and someone questions your decision, how does that make you feel? Like Maria as a questioner, if you like made a well thought out decision and then someone was like, why? Mm -hmm. What would you say? Or how would that make you feel? Huh. I feel like I would have to justify it. Like if I like actually, if I took time to like make a well thought out decision and someone questioned, I'd be like, no, like this is why I made this decision. Like, please understand why I made this decision. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, Gretchen talks a lot about, like, how questioners really hate to be questioned. Oh. And I... Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily, like, 100% agree with that, because I, I wouldn't say, like, blanket statement that I don't like to be questioned. But since I take so much time and energy making decisions by like doing all of the research and considering every single possible scenario then once I actually come to a decision that I'm comfortable with I think I would feel really defensive if someone questioned it but I think I try to like avoid that possibility by when I decide something I immediately explain to like whoever's there whoever it impacts what went into my decision <laughs> like I love mm -hmm. to like pre-explain my decisions to people about like I thought about this and I thought about that and I considered this and what if that happened well I already took that into account so don't worry about that and like I try to just like protect myself by giving this huge overview of everything that I accounted for I don't know if you guys experienced that at all yeah I can that. yeah 
I do. <laughs> I I we've talked about this a little bit, but like I am definitely one to like vocalize my emotions or like talk through decisions that I'm making. Like I have a hard mm-hmm. time just dealing with that kind of stuff on my own. I don't know if it's because I need to get it out in the world or by talking about it it makes it clearer in my own head or for some reason I feel like I need other people to like be in that process with me. Again, that's the whole obliger thing with me is like if I'm dependent on someone else or someone else is dependent on me, there's like this renewed sense of commitment. And if I'm just like making mm-hmm. a decision by myself or whatever, I think it like loses its justification for me. I need to like talk it over with someone else. So that like help that like helps mm-hmm. me make a decision because I think I need to like look for approval that like my decision is a good one. Like, I'll be like, is this decision right? Like, I'm making this decision because of this and this and this and this. But, like, do you agree? Like, do you think that's a good decision as well or whatever? Mm-hmm. I experienced that a lot. I think mm-hmm. that's really interesting. And I feel like one way that maybe I might differ from you is that I don't like talking things through until they're ready, generally. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so, like... Hmm. Like, if I made a decision about something that I was going to implement in my life, like, a new habit or something, it's very rare that I would say to someone, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to do it, like, now you know, so maybe you can help me keep this, like, because that feels like a lot of pressure to me, that feels like, oh my gosh, now someone else is gonna count on me to do it but they're not in my head like they don't know what's actually happening in my life and maybe there's gonna be something that comes up and the real like right decision would be for me to not follow through on this action this one time um which doesn't necessarily like stop me from like changing the habit or doing the thing but I just feel like I know better like I've done the research Mm -hmm. I know my life like in the moment I'll be able to make a good decision because I know all of the possible scenarios and I've planned it all out um and so it feels like really intimidating for me to vocalize that to someone else before I've gone through it Um, interesting well if I do vocalize it to someone it's usually to someone who I like completely trust their judgment on or it's like I wouldn't make this decision without this person's input or whatever, because like their opinion has a lot of levity on it or something like that. Yeah, I do. I do love input. (laughs) I love like information gathering. So I think I would like if I were trying to make like a big lifestyle shift or something, I'd be like, oh, what's worked for you? What's worked for you? Like, hey, mom, what do you think about this? But then I would, like, take it back to my own little bubble and analyze it and think, like, yeah, but would this work for me? And, like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's this other way that would work better. And it's hard to, like, then go back to that person and be like, yeah, I listened to you, but (laughs) I'm not going to do it that way. Like, let me take the time to explain all of my reasons. And then, like, I'm not even sure if I'm going to follow through anyway. Like, I'd rather just do it on my own. I minor adjustments as I need it silently and no one has to know and then when I've magically successfully changed all my habits and I'm a perfect human being then I can go back to those people and be like this is what I did and I did it perfectly that's interesting (laughs) but but more like that you know um what about you Maria that's interesting well I 
I also really like to talk through decisions with people. But for me, I am not really usually interested in the person's input. Like, (laughs) I think I just, that's how I process things is I do it verbally. And I just need like someone to kind of be a sounding board. You just need it to be like, it's not necessarily somebody who's, yeah. Yeah, it's not necessarily somebody who. It is. I like to go to somebody who I trust, but not necessarily someone who I think is going to give me good advice. Just someone who I feel comfortable talking to. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Which is why journaling is also a good tool for me because then <laughs> I can express my feelings verbally, but I I don't get any input except from myself. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you don't need any input anyway. <laughs> right. I don't need to borrow somebody else's ear if I'm not going to use their advice anyway. Well, so then, Maria, I'm curious. Do you ever get, like, what Gretchen calls analysis paralysis as a yes. questioner? Where you, like, <laughs> cannot make a decision because you have, like, so much information that you're collecting that you just, like, can't sort it That's all out? I feel like I like, need to talk to other people about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, me too. But again, it's more like it helps me sort out my own thoughts yeah. about it. Yeah. More so than I want their advice. Okay, that makes sense. That makes So yeah. do you ever get to a point where you just like don't make a decision because you can't? Or do you usually <laughs> like find a way to work through it? Um because I feel like sometimes what I do is like, I can't think of a specific example, but sometimes I'll just be like collecting information, collecting information. Like, should I do it this way? Should I do it that way? Should I do it now? Should I do it later? Which is the most efficient way to do it? I don't know. And then I just won't do it. Because, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I do that all the time. I, like, I think for me, it happens a lot, even with just like basic to-do lists like on the weekend like i'll make a to-do list for myself of just the most basic things like go grocery shopping go to the gym like vacuum make your bed go to the garden like all this just like basic stuff and then i'm like well should i do the vacuuming first or should i take a shower first or like what if i did the laundry (laughs) second and then i did the vacuuming well then the laundry basket might be on the floor and then i'd have to move it or you know, should I cook this thing now or later? If I want it to sit overnight, then I should do it now. But I kind of have to make dinner. And like, it's just like, then all of a sudden, I'm like sitting watching Netflix for yes. three hours. Yes. You're like, like describing my life right yep. now. That's exactly <laughs> how I feel on a daily basis. Yeah. Oh, particularly like... with showering. I like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I never know when to take a shower. I feel the same <laughs> Is it weird if I take a shower at 4 p.m. on a Saturday? Like, I don't know, but, like, I guess I'm not really doing anything, so who cares? Well, for me, I'm like, should I exercise now? Because then I'd have to shower, but I also want to shower tomorrow, Mm -hmm. but then my hair is going to look this way if I shower then. And then I never exercise or whatever, because, yeah, yes. Exactly. Yes. It's such a problem. (laughs) I completely agree. I just, like, I'm so obsessed with efficiency that, like, Mm-hmm. The time it takes me to figure out which way is the most efficient means that I'm not yep. being efficient. Yep. Yeah. Like, I sometimes I just try to get myself to just do it. Like, just start somewhere. And then at least you can check that one thing off. <laughs> yeah. 
That's uh, for yeah. me. Sometimes it's not that's even something like, I've been challenging yeah. myself to do too. For me, it's sometimes not even like over analysis of what I need to do. It's just like the list that I've made for myself is too daunting, and then I just don't want to do anything. Or is it that or you that. need someone there to tell you to do it and hold you accountable as well? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> like if someone were like, "Hey, I'm gonna go to the gym now." I want you to come with me. You're like, great. I'm gonna go to the gym now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would that would definitely impact it. Like if uh, someone told me like I'm gonna go to the gym now, you should come with me. Let's go together. I'd be like, but I kind of need to like bake some bread right now, <laughs> and so like I think I'm gonna go later. I do that too, though. But you know, like. I, you can go now, but, like, I'm yeah. gonna go later. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, like, part of the obliger thing for me, what I think is interesting is that even though most of the time I'm, like, fulfilling outward expectations and, like, letting the, my inner expectations kind of, like, go by the wayside, when I fulfill outer expectations, I don't really get, like, a large sense of reward from it. It's more just, like, I evaded consequences. But when I, like, fulfill inner expectations, like, there's this huge sense of reward. And so I'm like, why do I still fulfill Mm -hmm. these outer expectations? And I think it's just hugely driven by consequence for me. Maybe it would help you to think about your future self as your accountability partner in those inner expectations. Like, think future Anna would love it if current Anna would do this one thing. like. If Anna right now did a drawing, future Anna would be really happy. Like, I don't know if that would help, but I think that's, that's something that Gretchen has talked about for obligers. I mean, like, I've thought about that before, and I'll be like, I'll be sitting around and not doing anything, and I'll be like, well, I, like, want, like, will I be happy about this decision later? But then it's more of, like, a guilt thing rather than, like, a, okay, like, you're gonna, like, make yourself proud is more, like oh, you shouldn't be doing this because you're not going to be happy about it later, but then I, like, I don't end up doing it. But I think if I actually like took the concrete stance of like what right now is going to make you happy in the future, not just like the thing that you are doing right now isn't going to make you happy in the future, like putting yeah. that positive <laughs> spin on it would help me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Yeah. And I think like verbalizing my future self as like an accountability partner or if like, that is the outward outward expectation like reframing it that way i think would help a lot too yeah well i will say that having a co-host for the podcast has been super helpful i don't think i would be doing a weekly project like this without an accountability partner even as a questioner either (laughs) so i think this was a good way to do it yeah I do think sometimes, like, even as questioners, like, having that accountability partner can be helpful and just, like, like, for me, I would feel like, oh, but I'm, I'm not going to be ready. Like, I can't do it because I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone else were there to just be like, nope, you're ready. Go for it. <laughs> be like, well, yeah. I guess I have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, doing the podcast has really challenged me to kind of be okay with things being imperfect and putting them out into the world anyway because like 
is I have a blog too, but I hardly ever write on there. And when I do write a blog post, it like takes me forever because I have to go back and edit it and revise it um, before I actually publish it. But this way, it's like we're meeting on this day. I only have so much time to prepare before that. And when we're done, we're done. And it's going yeah, out. <laughs> I appreciate that as well. So I think it's good mm-hmm. for me. It's like this structured time to create things. And it's like, this yeah. is the time you have, yeah. and it's going to be what it is, and you're going to enjoy it, and then you're going to put it out there. Yeah. Well, I think maybe we should quit before we burn out <laughs> and start wrapping up, since we've been talking for a while. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. So, oh. Becca, before we let you go... Do you have any recommendations for us and our listeners? Anything you've been really into lately in any category? Oh my gosh. So it's so weird and it probably wouldn't apply to everybody, but I've been really obsessed with winter squash. Oh yeah. Ooh. I'm always obsessed with winter <laughs> squash. Every time, Me too. every time I go to the farmer's market on Saturday mornings, like I've just been picking up a different squash. <laughs> So I have a collection and they last for a really long time, just like at room temperature. So I haven't even cooked a bunch that I got like last week or the week before. But um, but it's really cool that there are so many different kinds and you can just like throw them in the oven. And like, I just think it's a really cool thing that doesn't happen all year round um, that I've been Mm -hmm. laughing on to. So would highly recommend checking out your local farmer's market for some winter squash which is your favorite kind (laughs) oh i don't know um yesterday i tried honey nut squash for the first time which are like they look like baby butternut squashes and they're like really sweet and it's nice because it's like a smaller amount so you can just like cook one and like it can be like one or two servings so it's perfect for someone who's just like cooking for one (laughs) I've mm-hmm. never had that kind um, of Even though I probably could just like sit down and eat a whole huge squash anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think it's it's like a a cross between a butternut and a something else. Um but... So try some winter squash. Good recommendation. Yeah. So our other last question for you, Becca, is the idea behind Never Wear Boring Socks is that we kind of try to make the most of everyday experiences by doing what we can to enjoy the moment. For us, that's never wearing boring socks. It's wearing exciting socks instead. But it can be something else, too, <laughs> in your life. Is this an idea that has resonated with you? I, I definitely think so. For me, I think it goes back to cooking again. Um, I, like, I'm just cooking for myself. Like, I usually just reach into my fridge and, like, whatever's there, I throw together with some like pasta or rice or something um and just throw it in a bowl but I really like to be creative about it and so even though it's gonna be eaten in like 15 minutes I still try to make it taste as good as I can and use cool ingredients like crazy winter squash you know (laughs) or making like cool sauces to dip things in um so I really like to do that to like enhance my everyday cooking experience because it's something you do like two or three times a day every day. So yeah. So yeah, true. Awesome. 
Yeah. So is there anywhere our listeners can find you or get in touch with you if they they want to continue the conversation? Um, well, I'm, I do sort of have a blog, but I haven't really blogged for like seven months or something. So, I mean, <laughs> feel free to check it out. But yeah. it's um, daisiesandbluebirds.wordpress.com. And I also have an Instagram at daisiesandbluebirds. Um, I mostly just like take pictures of food, but sometimes I write blog posts about like psychology things. <laughs> But I do love my food. You can see a really cool picture of the birthday cake that I made for myself on my Instagram. Oh, um, so that sounds yeah, exciting. if you like cake, go for it. Or fried chicken. I just made fried chicken, so that's kind of yeah. cool. But yeah, Becca does make some really delicious looking food. So <laughs> if if you're into the the food pictures on Instagram, you should yeah, check I'm it all out. That, so <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. So for our call to action this week, um, please get in touch with us over Instagram or Twitter or email and tell us something about yourself that might relate to the conversation we had today. So are you an introvert or an extrovert? Um, what one of the four tendencies do you identify yourself as? And start a conversation with us about that and we can, can gain some more insight into that. Thank you so much for listening to Never Wear Boring Socks this week. Next week's episode is going to be another surprise topic, so stay tuned. I'm sure it will be exciting. We'll pick something fun. Yes, it's, it's going to be good. Even though <laughs> it's a surprise. Maybe because it's a surprise, it'll be even better. Right, the anticipation. Yeah, exactly. I know I'm really excited for it. Great. Perfect. I'm glad you are. <laughs> One devoted listener. <laughs> Yay! Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, you can also find us on Google Play. And please share this episode with a friend who might enjoy it and leave us a review. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts about our podcast. And again, when you leave a review this month, we'll donate a dollar to the Hispanic Federation Hurricane Relief Fund. You can find show notes for this episode and links to anything we talked about at mariacatherine.com slash podcast slash zero one zero as in zero ten and Catherine is spelled K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. To get in touch with us, you can send us emails and voice messages to neverwearboringsocks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at neverwearboringsocks and on Twitter at noboringsocks. Thank you to our audio editor, Ben Ramsey, the Cheese Beast, and Martha Barnard, our Twitter supervisor. And thank you to both for helping with our music. And a huge thank you to Rebecca Cooper for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was so exciting. Yeah, thank you for Yay, joining this us. This was fun. Yeah, this was awesome. So please tune in next week. And always remember to never wear boring socks. <laughs>